It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. You're listening to Teal for Change on the Sharks Audio Network with your hosts, Whitney Halleck and Mo Fafana. Mo, we're back for another episode of the Teal for Change podcast. It's been a little bit. It's been a minute. I've missed this. We've been quite busy. In true Teal for Change podcast fashion, we come with the big hitters. We do. Yeah, we come with the heavy hitters. So we've taken some time off, but we have an episode that is really, really going to move you. So we're super excited to be back due to some scheduling conflicts. Um, some of these recordings um, happen at different times, but nonetheless, the message is still potent and the information is quite needed. Um, I myself learned a lot um, from listening to the conversations that um, our guests shared. And I hope that our listeners have their ears open and have a pen and a paper or pull up their notepads on their iPhones and, you know, take down this information that um, I feel like everyone should know. Yeah, we, we bring the heavy hitters. Mo, do you want to tell the listeners who we're talking to today? We're excited to share. We have three public defenders of the Bay Area today, starting with Molly O'Neill from Santa Clara County, Brendan Woods from Alameda County, and Manoa Raju from San Francisco County. You know, the Teal for Change podcast, a lot of people might be thinking, why are we having public defenders on this podcast? But to reiterate some of our messages from our first, um, very first show, the Teal for Change podcast was started by Sharks Front Office members um, to document our organization's journey to become more diverse, equitable, and inclusive, but also share the stories of people doing that work in our community. You guys, thank you so much for being here. I would love to just start right away and ask, what is the role of a public defender. Molly, would you like to start? So, you know, at our very essence, we uh, were charged with representing indigent folks, people who don't have a lot of money, who are charged with crimes uh, where there's exposure to, to jail. Our, our role has expanded quite a bit. We started out after the Supreme Court case, Gideon versus Wainwright. Public defender offices sprung up all over the country and all over California. And so our 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 core mission is is that, but we've we've really uh, evolved out into doing much more. Yeah, as Molly said, our original role was to defend people accused of crimes and they cannot afford an attorney. That's kind of the core of what public defenders do. But our role as Hispanics so much more. Now you can't be involved in this work in the system and realize that our clients, when they come to court, they're facing so many more issues and they're concerned about so much more than it's that criminal case. They're worried about their housing. Uh, they're worried about their employment. They're worried about who's going to take care of their kids. They're worried about drug addiction and mental health. We as defenders came into this wanting to fight the system and then we realized our clients need so much more assistance. So we began to really branch out. All of the public friends here on this podcast have started to really implement holistic defense, where we are bringing in social workers. We all have immigration teams. We have a clean slate unit to help people get their records cleaned up and to get them jobs. So we are really expanding out more. I see the role of public defenders really to be fighting poverty. All of our clients are poor. None of them can afford counsel. So if they had money, they would not be in situation or they'd have a lawyer to help them fix 
every single other element that's keeping them there in the criminal system. So we've expanded out more. And um, I'm happy to be in this podcast because we got a great group of defenders here who are really pushing the envelope with regards to what we should be doing for our client. Mano, anything to add there? Sure. Well, let me say I echo everything that Molly and Brendan said. And, you know, Brendan and I are also on the steering committee for the National Association of Public Defenders. And what we talk about, and I, you know, I'd like to relay here is that the triangle being a public defender. On the one hand, we're warriors. Clients want to know that they have someone who has their back because you're going to go there and fight and do everything that they can for them, whether that's filing every single motion, leaving no stone turned in your investigation, developing yourself into a strong trial attorney so you can fight as hard as you can for your client. That's one crucial piece. Another is being a counselor to our clients, like being that person that they can confide in, being that, you know, who can maybe make help them make, you know, in a collaborative way decisions so that for whatever reason, someone came into our sort of care or, or responsibility to fight for them. We're also hopefully, even if you get the same result as someone else, they feel better as a result of that relationship and their life is moving in a more positive direction afterwards. Lastly, we're activists. I mean, there's no public defender who's working in this system who doesn't realize there's a dramatic need for real change of the system and the way you handle your individual case and on a broader policy or organizing level. We are people who are primed to really change the system. So I think we're activist counselors and warriors. I want to get to the question of know your rights. When we first reached out to community members putting in the work, this is a program that came up for us and and one way that we were going to try to help. The pandemic proved a lot more difficult to to try to do this. I'm sure it made it your jobs more difficult as well. But We wanted to support those efforts in the community. I know that each of your offices have a slightly different program, but I would love if you could each talk about your Know Your Rights program and and, and kind of some basics about it, and we'll we'll dive a little bit deeper. It seems like Brendan should go first. He really was the pioneer in in launching these programs in his office. Sure, I'm happy to go first. I'm not sure if I've pioneered. I think we've all got really great programs, and we've all stolen from each other. You know, I've stolen from the Bronx, the friends in New York, but um, we have a program here that we started, I believe, in 2014 called Lyric, which stands for Learn Your Rights in California. It is exactly that. It is teaching pretty much high schoolers in Alameda County their rights. Now, when you come in contact with a police officer, these are your rights, um, guaranteed by the Constitution and state law and case law. This is how you assert them. And more importantly, this is how you do it safely. No, this is how you do it safely to avoid these situations escalating. I really see it as kind of a youth empowerment movement. No, it or not, you can't sell on the podcast. I'm a black male. Um, I was at one point in time in high school. I was stopped multiple times over and over and over again by the police. And every time I was stopped, I was scared. I had no idea what to do. And I felt completely powerless in the situation. So part of the role or the goal of our Northern Rights Program is to eliminate that fear, eliminate that powerlessness and make sure that you are able to assert your rights and protect yourselves. Now, a lot of our work that we do is, as I said earlier, is really about economics and fighting against a system, the system that really keeps people of lesser means in a situation where they can't excel. And I keep thinking about, you know, my kids, you know, I have two daughters. My kids know their rights. They probably knew their rights when they were toddlers. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm attorney. We're attorneys. So I, we teach them their rights. And why shouldn't every kid, regardless of your economic background, why shouldn't you know your rights and be able to protect yourself when you come in contact with the police? Now, it's a kind of basic. That's why we do it. The way our program set up is so we go out in teams of two. It could be a social worker, an attorney, um, investigator, an attorney. We go to the high school. We have this PowerPoint. It's an interactive presentation. We have T-shirts and cards we give out. Um, and it's really fun. I've done it a bunch myself. Um, 
Love it. It's great being in the schools and talking to kids. During the pandemic, we couldn't do it, but we did set up virtual ones. So we did it over Zoom, which has had its own challenges, but it was still a lot of fun. I'll, I'll jump in. One thing that we did is we started a collaboration with the San Francisco Unified School District's uh, Teachers for Social Justice and also the Human Rights Commission to have a cohort of people, y- young people who are in high school from the school district to do internships in our office to learn as much as possible from the system and then go back and be sort of ambassadors or liaisons in their own communities, in their own schools to do the teaching. So we really believe in that empowerment model and trying to create really, it's called the Young Defender Program. And I think it's just vital to, because when you listen to young people, their analysis of the system, when they see things in court, they look at the system with a freshness that sometimes people who have been doing it for a while uh, aren't looking at it from anymore. So creating that group of people, you know, to really get in there, understand your rights and then teach is, is vital for us. Another thing that's important for us is just outreach to communities. There's a lot of people who think that there's, you know, the system's unfair, so I don't want to participate in it, but we really need those people to actually show up for jury duty because that's one area where you can really have an impact. It's really important that your voice be heard in that courtroom. We're really pushing for more diverse juries here in San Francisco. I know Brendan's doing that in Alameda County and Molly's doing that in Santa Clara County, but that's vital. So we want to educate people about their right to be on juries. So that's another real key key factor for us in the overall, overall civic engagement. Just in terms of our program. So for initially, we I think we all got DOJ grants to get Bronx, Bronx Defender um, technical assistance to, to expand holistic defense. And part of that is really understanding the community you represent and getting out in it. So when we first started doing Know Your Rights, we had uh, kind of just volunteers. Some some lawyers had done street law in, in, in law school, and so they were naturally inclined to want to do it. And, and we got really positive responses. So I, I petitioned the Santa Clara County Board of Supervisors about three years ago to give us a specific position of community outreach attorney. And they did fund that position. And so we have a lawyer who's been in the position. His name is Ashante Mitchell, and he's a Spanish-speaking Black lawyer. I think he's dealt with Teal for Change, and he's amazing. So he he does most of those presentations now. Uh, I recall myself being out. I, I try to stay really involved in juvenile justice issues, but I recall being on the campus of William C. Overfelt in Eastside East San Jose, which is one of the highest need high schools in all of Santa Clara County, and a young student standing up and saying, "Every time I see a police." car, my, my heart beats and I'm, I'm anxious and I'm afraid. And so we've really tried to kind of incorporate that into the presentations, which really have sort of two components. One is educational and the other is de-escalation. So part, part, of, part of it is kind of saying you, you really want to understand your rights so that you're not doing things you're not required to do under the law, but also you want to speak calmly and be respectful and understand that as, as anxious as you are, sometimes the police are also anxious. So so the de-escalation part of our Know Your Rights training is, is really, really critical. And Ashante has done a terrific job. And he, he mentioned to me when I was talking to him about this podcast that interestingly, while he's done them during covid by Zoom, he gets more questions because I think the kids feel like they can type into the chat and it's not as embarrassing as having to talk. So we, we've made do and continue to do them, but I, I know we're really excited to get back into the classroom next year. We talk a lot on the podcast about humanizing issues, making it so that you can connect with an issue and, and you feel more compelled to act or, or, or be involved. Can 
each of you provide maybe a story of, of how the New York Rights Program has or did change the life of a, of a client? Unfortunately, we don't follow up with students specifically on the Know Your Rights. I mean, we're, we're Ashante is on campus once a week in two different high schools. But um, I, I can't say this. Your, your question was, can you tell a story about what could have or what did change the life? And I, I guarantee you that lives can be saved through Know Your Rights trainings be just simply because of the de-escalation component. So we've seen it uh, all over the country for the last many, many years, what happens when a, a negative interaction transpires. And so if, if we have imparted to, to high schoolers, how to protect their rights and understand their rights and also how to de-escalate interactions. We know we've avoided violence. So I say that I, I, I believe that to be true in hundreds of instances because of the information provided. Let me follow up on that. I mean, I think one, one thing, Molly, is knowing your rights is super important. And as far as the de-escalation, the most important thing to try to do is stay alive, first of all. So whatever you need to do first to stay alive, obviously in any situation, you know, you want to do that first because we can deal with the rest later, but we need people to be alive. And, you know, there's been too many shootings, particularly young black and brown people in this country. So that that's vital. Another area of Know Your Rights, though, is to realize that what, just because someone's charged you with something does not mean you should lay down and take that charge. And I think we need people who realize that we are trying to create a crew of defenders statewide and nationwide that are really trained to fight for people. And it's a shocking amount of time. So what the prosecution has charged the person with is either totally wrong or way overcharged. So we need people to embrace the right, you know, that right to a jury trial and the right to really fight. We have a system in this country that's really designed to coerce pleas from people. It's a system of, there's a three-part process to it. One, keeping people in custody ahead of time. And there's been some reform in that area, but there's still far too many people presumed innocent who are in custody who are actually innocent. Secondly, there's what's called a trial tax. And it's this idea, you, you know, if you don't take this deal, you, you don't have to take this deal. But just so you know, if you lose a trial, I'm going to give you a much higher number. And then the third piece of that is overcharging, that oftentimes, you know, someone will charge something much more serious than what actually happened. And then say, okay, we'll offer you something in the middle, if you'll take it, because your exposure is a lot more. So it's a lot of pressure on someone once they're accused to actually just take a deal, not realizing that's quote unquote deal is going to impact you the rest of your life in so many ways and your ability to get a job and the ability for them to put another charge on you and the ability to then make it prior that enhances something in the future. So just embracing that idea that just because you're charged, you don't have to plead guilty and really getting in the mindset. And that's something we work on with our community too, of defenders to empower people to listen, we're going to file every motion for you. We're going to litigate. We're going to try and demand justice and bring more truth into the courtroom. And with that, there, there can be more just out. I hope people were listening. The first thing Manos said was to stay alive, to, to stay alive. And that is a reality for black and brown people, black and brown kids, transgender people. That is a reality that we have when we come in contact with the police. And I don't think all of America recognizes that or sees that because they have a different lens with regards to how they interact with police, how they contact police and how police treat them. Hopefully, what we've seen over the last year has brought some sort of attention to that and highlighted that, but that is still a reality for people of color when they come in contact with the police. You, unfortunately, your first instinct, your first response is to stay alive. So part of our programs is to teach people how to do that, to do it safely, 
and to protect yourself. Now, your, your question was about stories. And we do have stories, but I don't think I can share any of them because they're all juveniles. <laughs> and I can't do it without their permission. I do know of some young individuals who, you know, their cases turned out differently because they had our labor training and they knew how to assert their rights. But really, if our programs are working properly, we shouldn't have any stories because the people who are asserting their rights aren't coming into the system. The people who are asserting their rights are protected. The people who are asserting their rights properly aren't being arrested by the police. That's hopefully the way it works. But yeah, I I can't tell you, you we've all created a lot of really innovative programs in our offices, but the Know Your Rights training has got to be up there at the top of the list with regards to impact and benefit to us when we're out in the community talking to these youth. Thank you for sharing um, information about your programs and, and, you know, a lot of the work that you were doing. Um, You know, what do you think that parents and caregivers should know about Know Your Rights? Do you think that the information should you know, start at home before getting to school? Like at, at what age did we start educating our kids about, you know, know your rights? Um, the way our class is set up, or our instruction, it works, I think, best sophomore age and up, just as far as attention span in the classroom. But it would be great to have smaller groups of like three to four to five kids to talk down to them and just sit them down to talk about their rights. When, when I think about what parents should know, uh, I, I think they have to be informed and talking to their kids, especially um, kids of color. Often when a police officer is talking to you or questioning you, it is because they are trying to find evidence or trying to solve a crime. And there's a high chance that you yourself may be a suspect. And so some of the most important things that we want our kids and youth to take away from the class is that you always have the right to remain silent, always have that right. And if you have a story that you want to tell, it's always better to tell that through an attorney as opposed to yourself. I would add in terms of parents, I think parents always worry their kids are going to get hurt, particularly in in BIPOC communities. And so often the the line from the parents is do whatever the cops tell you to do, respectful interactions, but not uninformed ones. So the best thing parents can do is to really try and get their hands on some know your rights curriculum, reach out to our respective offices, talk to uh, juvenile supervisors, those in charge, our community outreach attorney, whoever is in charge of the know your rights trainings and get some information because as we all know, information is power and it's out there and available. So I think you you all just touched on that. Um, and from the beginning of our journey, we've talked a lot about criminal justice reform. What does that term mean to you? So criminal justice reform really uh, is, it's a mechanism to redress past harms and to, to correct a failed system. We believed for decades that mass incarceration was the way to, to solve problems, and we now know it solves nothing, and really it causes so much harm. So criminal justice reform is the most exciting thing to me because communities of color were so impacted by these archaic and punitive models of criminal justice, and there was no justice in that model. So reform really is about fixing those problems, fixing the sentencing law laws that send people away forever, fixing the three strikes law, changing all of these charges that were felonies into misdemeanors. And so it it really started in 2011 with realignment with AB 109. And we've seen one after another after another, Prop 47, Prop 36, most recently, and maybe most importantly, the Racial Justice Act. And I know, I I believe Brendan testified in Sacramento uh, on behalf of getting it passed. And so we we have a lot of work to do now to undo that past harm. It's a really exciting chapter for criminal defense 
offices. But I think when we talk about, uh, you know, criminal legal system reform, we can't talk about that outside the context of housing reform, outside the context of our economic system and job creation uh, or the lack of jobs, outside the context of education inequity, outside the context of, um, you know, environmental racism that we've seen, because all of that has impacts that often land someone in the criminal legal system. So we really need to start working on all those issues simultaneously with criminal legal system reform. Mo, I know we say this every episode, but I really think that this was my favorite episode. Um, It was really inspiring and moving. Um, It brought chills to my my arms, Mm -hmm. hearing people who are doing incredible, incredible work in our community and helping people um, try to um, better their lives, you know? Most definitely. I think this was by far one of the most informative, you know, podcasts we've done. Um, I've listened to this at least three or four times and each time just finding different things to write down and um, can't wait till this is out so I can share with my friends and my siblings and um, because this is information that I didn't have access to um, growing up. So I think the more people can have access to knowing their rights and how to conduct themselves, you know, with law enforcement, I think the better. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we don't have to deal with a lot of these obscene things that we see on television or social Mm -hmm. media. So, um, I really enjoyed this and um, I learned a lot yeah. and uh, yeah. I hope our listeners, um, you know, learn as well. And, mm-hmm. and um, I think I learned that nothing is really black and white. There's always gray area. Mm. There's always a story. Everyone mm. has a story. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I forget who says this, but it, you know, something about your worst day should not define the rest of your life. Mm. And um, I think it's really amazing that there are people who devote their lives to trying to give other people second chances in life. Yeah. I think for me, it was hot, passionate. Um, You know, Molly, Mano and Brandon are about what they do and the amount of energy and passion and dedication it takes to do this job. Um, it just, you know, it came off in, in the conversation um, and it just, it inspires me to go that hard in what I do and also to be able to use, you know, our platform and our, our podcast for good and getting this information out to, to everyone. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely enjoy this. For the listeners who um, want to know more, you can find more information on the Teal for Change website um, through sjsharks.com you can also find more information and links we will put out I'm sure tweets and Facebook posts Um, so please reach out look up to see the resources that we mentioned um, if you're interested and as always we, we appreciate you guys tuning in until next time thank you for listening to Teal for Change on the Sharks Audio Network all music by Yogi Yend 